the supreme need of our time is for men to learn to live together in peace and harmony. I have directed the continued and increased close surveillance of Cuba and its military buildup. This is a strong nation. This is a compassionate nation. This is a decent nation. And this is a nation that will not let terrorists change our way of life. And with eyes fixed on the horizon and God's grace upon us, we carried forth that great gift of freedom and delivered it safely to future generations. Welcome to the American Perspective. I am Joshua Newmark. My guest today is Deanna Lorraine, the congressional candidate for California's 12th district. Deanna, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been my pleasure. Uh, I'm glad that I reached out to you or you reached out to me. Um, you know, you're running against America's most wanted, uh, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, what are your hopes during this, this next year of campaigning and elections? Well, it's a good question. Obviously, it's a very, she's a, like a Goliath, right? She's huge. And to run up against her is kind of a crazy thing. I mean, every day I wake up thinking, am I completely insane? Uh, if I lost my marbles? But I have a lot of confidence and, and strength. And I feel that um, it's, it's an important thing to do. You know, as someone who is a conservative, we, our voices get drowned out a lot. And especially living in California, the very blue uh, district, uh, especially in, in San Francisco, and we often just don't have a voice. And if, if conservatives just constantly laid down and gave up and didn't even try, we wouldn't have Donald Trump as our president. Mm -hmm. And we would just probably let socialism take over and all of uh, the American values that I hold so dear just be demolished and I'm not ready to do that. I, I'm not going to give up without a fight. I will fight to restore the country that I know and love. And that's what I aim to do. I, I'm going to campaign to win. I'm in it to win it. And if I win, meaning that I'm actually in Congress, that'll be a huge win because I can help the president enact his America First agenda and, uh, and really I think right the country's ship but I can, you know, if, if I don't win in the sense that I'm not in Congress, but I raise uh, a, attention to important issues, which I'm sure we'll talk about, if I can hold Nancy accountable mm -hmm. to the things that I think that she's doing and saying that is leading to the destruction of our country, and if I can stand strong with conservative values, then I consider that a win still. I consider that a victory. Absolutely. Uh, the more, like you said, the more we raise that awareness, the harder it is for them to keep taking ground. So that's, that's a perfect outlook on this. Um, Thank you. I'll ask you, just today in the news, San Francisco supervisors, so I'm, I'm assuming it's the county or the, the city council, voted unanimously to list the NRA as a terrorist organization in, on domestic soil. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> that is the most despicable thing that I've ever seen. And it just, you know, this has a lot to do with the, the inner politics of San Francisco um, and also on a grand scale of, of the Democrats on the whole. So starting with the, the specifics of, of the district of San Francisco, um, they're just known for this political grandstanding 
and they often just want to be the first ones out of all the states and the districts to, to put this moral stance on something, uh, to, to put a stance on something and to accuse a group of something, but really it's just a, a scapegoat. You know, it's just a way to create a smokescreen for their lack of dealing with the real problems in the district of San Francisco. You know, there are needles on the ground, there, are, there is uh, feces on the ground, there are homeless people, there's um, a housing crisis. There are so many actual issues in San Francisco that they're not dealing with, and yet they choose to put the scapegoat on the country's problems of, uh, at the NRA, you know, which is absolute BS. And this is a, they have a track record of doing this, so it's really disgusting and irresponsible of them. But on a grander scale, you know, this is, this is absolutely despicable because they are blaming, they're putting the blame on the NRA and guns for these mass shootings. Now we have had guns, we've had the right to bear arms since America was established. Right. You know, and we've only recently had mass shootings. So what has changed? The people have changed. Our values and our culture have changed. There has been a crisis of fatherless homes. You know, almost all of, of the mass shooters have come from fatherless homes or, and or been on drugs. And we're not talking about that. We're not talking about father, the fatherless crisis or the mental health crisis or the drug crisis. We're ignoring all those issues and saying, no, the, the culprit of these problems is the NRA and guns. And that's like saying that, you know, forks and spoons are to blame for obese people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely disgusting. And yet these same people who are putting the blame on NRA are calling Antifa, who actually is a terrorist organization, they're calling them a peaceful group. Yeah, which we know, you know it's not. That, right, and, and, um, and they're actually inciting violence on American citizens. So it's the, the fact that they're, they're having this moral panic and they're creating this outrage of people pointing the blame at the NRA and law-abiding gun-owning citizens is absolutely disgusting. It's immoral and it's reprehensible. Uh, you know, I'll move on to a secondary question of this topic, red flag laws. What do you see happening if we go down that path? I see it as a very slippery slope. How can we trust that the Democrats or, or the government, uh, you know, even Donald Trump has been talking about that a little bit, which is pretty terrifying, but how can we trust them to have any sense of sensible um, red flag laws or gun control when they say things like the Trump hat or the NRA hat is the equivalent of the KKK white hood, right? right? Or when they say that um, uh, Antifa is a peaceful group or Chick-fil-A is a hate group, NRA is, uh, is a domestic ter- terrorist organization. How can, we, how can we expect that they're going to use any kind of reason and logic with enforcing that because they are not reasonable and logical, clearly. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be leading to a slippery slope. You know, it's just chipping away at the Second Amendment. And once you start chipping away at it, you can't get it back. We right. have the right to bear arms, and we, can't, we have to stand strong on this. And no matter how many shootings happen, it's unfortunate. My heart goes out to the victims, of course. But we need to focus on the real problems, the root of the problems, and not 
the the side effect, not the symptom of the problems, like toxic masculinity or right. men or the NRA or guns. Right. You know, those are all just symptoms. They are not the actual problem. You know, one of the examples I've given to people uh, with red flag laws is it's no different than calling uh, child protective services on your neighbor and saying, Mary and Bill are beating their kid. They're going to come pick up the kid. They're going to, you know, the parents then have to go to court to fight to get the kid back. It's it, sad, right? No oh. difference. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, we're just kind of realizing the mental health issue that's there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're one of the single largest countries in the world. I mean, you know, with, we're approaching 400 to 450 million people, resident or citizen, within the country. You know, European Union has seven to 800 million as a whole. Um, so we're bound to, t- to statistically have issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the mental health, do we need to make changes in the healthcare system? Or is this, uh, you know, some people have said that this new, the mass shootings and things are compared to the new serial killers. Okay. Well, to be honest with you, I think this is a problem with our culture. I think that especially men are more likely to be addicted to psychiatric drugs than women are. And, but women are, uh, you know, they're more um, on, on drugs for antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications now than ever before either. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, we're creating a culture where people are addicted to video games and pornography. Uh, we're, we're pressuring our women to be fighters in the workplace and get to the top of the workplace and be leaders in the workforce when maybe it might be going against their nature. And, and a lot of women feel so pressured to be super successful that they end up getting anxiety and depression over it. And then at the same time, we're degrading and demonizing our men and telling, uh, telling them that they're not wanted and not needed, they're not important in life, and that they're toxic. So then a lot of men uh, slip into mental health issues and slip into depression, attempt suicide, et cetera. And when we also have a culture that is just not enforcing family values or marriages, a, a lot of times in the past, you know, this, these kinds of issues would be solved within the family unit. Typically, when people have strong parents and a strong father figure, especially, they get the nurturing and love that they need from home. They get the values taught to them at home, right? So that they end up being a stable, um, a positive contribution to society. Mm-hmm. With, with people, with, with we having an, an epidemic of fatherless homes and broken families, they're just, a lot of people are not getting that. They're not getting that stability and care. And so they become very unstable and they end up becoming a menace to society instead of a positive contribution to society. So I think so much of our problem lies that in, in not just, you know, giving people more drugs, although that's an issue in itself too, but, but the, uh, the lack of values and stability in our culture today. That's a fair point. Um, you know, broken homes don't really get discussed as much anymore as they used to. Not at um, all. And now, and you know a little bit about this. I mean, you've been a relationship coach uh, and a YouTuber. Is this, has your past given you the, the information and the preparedness to go forward uh, as a congressional member, hopefully? Absolutely, 100%. I wouldn't be here if, if I, I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have this past of being a relationship coach and working with individuals and couples in their personal lives and in their lives. I mean, 
I have seen firsthand the devastating effects of people that come from broken families, fatherless homes. I've seen the firsthand effects of liberal ideologies and feminist ideologies and practices on women and men in the family unit and the destructive values that are being pushed in our culture today on people. I've seen that firsthand. I've witnessed it. I ended up writing a book about it last year, you know, called Making Love Great Again. And that's actually what thrust me into the political world, more so as a conservative advocate and commentator, because I've seen that there's a direct correlation between the downfall of our country and the downfall of the family unit in our relationships. And I believe that the the common thread through all of this is the, the replacement of conservative, um, traditional American values that we used to have uh, with more liberal, progressive values that we have today. I see that. I see so much evidence of this. And this is why I'm a champion for conservative values. Now more than ever, I didn't used to be this conservative. And I even went through a liberal phase. But I have seen how... That is, I think, what it's going to take to restore our country and this liberal progressive values are really killing our relationships, they're killing our families, and they're destroying the fabric of our country. Mm -hmm. That's why I think I'm more prepared than anyone. I haven't been this seasoned politician that's been, you know, sitting behind a mansion out of touch with the constituents for the last 30 years. I have been in the trenches with my fellow Americans. I've been in the trenches with them, dealing and struggling with the same problems they have. And I'm a very concerned and passionate America, American. And I just want to, I want to do right by this country. I'm kind of like how Trump was an outsider. He was never a politician before, but he probably cares more really about the country than someone who's been in Congress for the last 40 years, out of touch. So and, I feel like I'm more than prepared. And, and he's doing it for free. And he's doing it for free. Right. You know, I think this new school of government should consist of actually people that are just average, ordinary, concerned and passionate Americans. That's mm -hmm. what I think. I really think that's going to do the country much more good than yeah. people who have been raised in this political family for years, um, out of touch with Americans. I think this yeah. is all about ordinary Americans doing bold and extraordinary things to, to restore America. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, one of the things that I've said since I was in high school is that instead of being drafted into the military, let's just say if that was to happen, mm -hmm. we should be drafted into the public office, the public eye. You know, we should be mm. contributing to our society. Um, I like that. Uh, you, you know, we have to be able to give back in order to go forward. But uh, to, to those that are that are listening to you or to the podcast, conservatives, Republicans, whatever you want to call us, we've been given a really bad name, uh, especially over the past three years. Oh, we've been smeared and slandered. Yes. Um, you know, walk away campaign has gained a lot of ground. A lot of Democrats are, are coming to the party. Um, what would you say to people that are on the left that are thinking that the conservatives or Republicans are homophobes, racists, you know, God only knows what they're calling us every day. What, what's your message? Well, first of all, we're not. I mean, especially you can see in the walkaway movement, there's so many gays and transgenders and people from all different colors and races. And that should say even more so that we are not someone who judges people on the content of the context 
of uh, you know who they look like and, and the color of their skin or whatever gender they belong to. That is the left. The left judges people by the group that they belong to and the color of their skin and their gender and their sexual orientation. That's what the left does. We are actually people that want to live Martin Luther King's dream of, mm -hmm. of judging people by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. We all just want, you know, we want people who respect other Americans, who have respect for the country, and who want to see it succeed, and who don't want to, um, who, who don't uh, enforce policies or ideologies that we see as destructive. Mm -hmm. And most, I think most reasonable Democrats can see now that this, that the Democrat Party is no longer the party of JFK. These are not the classical liberals anymore. This is not that party anymore. No. This is a party that has moved so far to the left and really is unrecognizable to the party of uh, JFK back in the 40s or 50s, right? It's just, it's unrecognizable. Yeah. And it, it is involved in uh, thought policing. It's involved in hatred, division, uh, slander and really just crippling the fabric of America. I think that most liberals, if they're, if they're honest with themselves, don't align with those, the values anymore that the left is, is espousing and standing behind. And if, they're, if they don't want to stand by this party anymore, or if they don't recognize it anymore, why continue to stand by it? Right? Why continue to support and stand by a party that's now become a huge part of the problem of America? Start mm -hmm. being part of the solution, or at least dip your hand into it. You know, a lot of people from the walkaway movement, they just hang out with some people, some conservatives for a couple, couple interactions, you know, a couple get togethers. And they see that we're actually very, very loving and respectful people. We have a great time. We're not going to judge you whether you say the wrong thing or not, we're not going to judge you by the color of your skin or what your sexual identity is. We don't, we don't engage in this oppression Olympics. We just want to have a strong and pro prosperous America. And that's we're, really it. Yeah. And we're the ones that are protecting your constitutional rights yes. that, that are there to keep you safe. Exactly. So. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it's this, the, the left is disrespectful to fellow Americans and disrespectful to America, America itself, you know, burning the American flag, absolutely right. disgracing the veterans that have sacrificed so much for us to have our freedom and liberties. Yeah. You know, uh, thought policing is just unconstitutional. Well, that's Nazi uh, Germany right there. Right. Absolutely. And even the, even sexualizing children at such a young age and, and, um, and pushing this gender ideology, teaching children gender pronouns and all about the gender and sexuality spectrum when they should just be learning the alphabet and playing with Legos. Yes. It's just, it, these are just not appropriate things. And conservatives aren't bigots. They just feel that there's some things that should be conserved. That's all. That's all there is to it. Well, and, and, and to even explain that a little bit further is a time and place for everything and everything in its place. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Um, so yeah, you ha you handled that one great. I, I, uh, that was a good explanation. Um, I live in Arizona. You live in California. Mm -hmm. We both have seen, um, the ugly aspects of illegal immigration. How is it affecting California and what do you hope to change about it? Well, it's affecting California a lot. 
especially San Francisco, LA, and the San Diego areas, you know, the sanctuary cities. There is more crime. There's, there are illegal immigrants that are coming in and causing problems. You know, they're committing crimes. They're robbing people, American citizens. They're making people feel unsafe in their own backyards or in their schools. Um, it is difficult even to, for teachers to teach now at public schools because there are so many illegal immigrants there that require a translator or that cannot understand the language. So they have to, they have to kind of dumb down their teaching for the rest of the students. Uh, and, and it's not really fair to the rest of the students who want to get a good learning experience. There is, there is more, uh, there's more rape, people are getting killed, there's MS-13, that is a, a problem here, even though the left wants to deny it. Sanctuary cities and the rampant immigration, uh, illegal, illegal immigration, we are all for legal immigration, okay? Come here right. the right way, do the right thing. But illegal immigration, we just simply don't have the resources um, in the ability to compassionately and responsibly have them here, you know, right. to take care of them and to take care of our American citizens and families as well. We just simply don't have it. Right. So we got to cut down on it. It is a huge impact on California and, um, and especially in the district that I'm in, San Francisco. And we got to look at how, what are the problems that Americans are dealing with and American families are dealing with? Um, I think just those deserve our attention first. There are so many homeless people in, in California and in San Francisco, 10,000 homeless, homeless people in San Francisco alone, okay? We have 22 veterans that commit suicide every day. We have an opioid crisis that is ripping families apart and killing thousands of Americans every year. We have so many problems in America that are really affecting American citizens. We just, we have the resources to, to focus on them first, and then we can worry about illegal immigrants. But we've got to put uh, a stopper on this right now so we can get our own country in line. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what we should be looking at. Um, I have a few yes, and no, yes or no questions for you, and I promise they're easy. I won't put you on the spot. Okay, thanks. Uh, do you support lower taxes? Yes, I do. Do you support limited government? Definitely. And do you think that individual responsibility or accountability should be what we focus on? A hundred percent. I think so many of our problems right now are because we are, we are uh, placating people and teaching them to be victims instead of taking personal responsibility. That's a big problem in the U.S. right now. Yeah. How do you feel about term limits? I think that we should definitely have term limits, 100%. <laughs> Nancy you, Pelosi was in office before I was even born. Right. Do you have an idea of what the term limit you would support would be? I think four years is good for, I mean, I think presidents, obviously, we get a second term. But I, I think four years, um, eight years at the very most but I think, I think four years is a good max. Sure. Uh, you know, if the, like you said, if the president gets two four-year terms, nobody else should be able to, to uh, exceed that, especially when it was Congress that voted to, to limit the presidential powers. Right, right. And the terms. So I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, President Trump has claimed he wants to drain the swamp. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? And what would be the first thing you would do about it? 
what that means to me is is removing the corrupt bad actors from the government who do not have the best interests of the American people at heart. They're just in there, they're comfortable, they're cozy, they're rich, they wanna just keep enriching themselves and they're sheltered from the real problems of America. They are, really, there's a lot of people that are very questionable in the government right now that I believe are actually intending to destroy America. I think we, we have a lot of very destructive people in there and, uh, you know, as we can see, Trump's hands are really tied in a lot of situations. It's like he, he, he gets blocked so many times just from enacting his agenda. So we've, we've got to identify and remove those corrupt politicians from the government and have only people that truly care about the American people and are willing to put the people over them. They're willing to serve the people and not be served by the people. That's, you know, that's really the first step, and that's what I think draining the swamp is. And anything, any policies that, there's a lot of policies out there, there's, um, and, and, and laws that are really actually hurting Americans more than they are helping them. So we'd want to get to the bottom of that and, um, and weed, through, weed through that fat, so to speak, and really get to any of those kind of um, policies that are really just a smokescreen for hurting Americans, we would get to the bottom of that and, like he says, drain that swamp. Mm-hmm. Um, one final question I have for you, and this is one that I like to do that, that uh, people can get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Um, do you have a political figure in American history that you look up to the most or that you would aspire to be? It's a great question. Um, you know, right now I would actually say, I would say President Trump. And even though he has a lot of flaws, and I wouldn't necessarily aspire to be him in every way. But what I love about him is that he really took on a complete mammoth against all odds. And everyone said he was going to lose. He has attacks 24-7, 365 days a year. Um, the odds were totally against him. And uh, it seemed like the country was against him. He was an outsider. He had no political experience. Um, but he just continued to go with it. And he fight it. You know, he fought. He really put himself out there and believed in his purpose. Mm-hmm. He believed in, in uh, his mission to help restore America so much he was willing to go through all those slings and arrows and continues to every day. And I think that confidence and that faith in himself, his persistence in continuing with his mission, despite all odds and attacks, I think that's a really admirable quality of him. Whether you like him or not, I think it's really cool. And I think a lot of people can aspire to that because that really is the American dream. We have lost sight of what the American dream really is. And the American dream is really about Uh, pulling yourself up from your bootstraps and no matter what your situation, how dire it is, no matter what your race, whatever deck of cards you were dealt with, you're able to make something out of nothing. You're able to go after your dream and create your own destiny that you can be successful in America. um, Even if you really have no other experience and and illegal immigrants as well. You know, this is why illegal immigrants came to America because, uh, sorry, legal immigrants, why 
they became legal because they wanted this dream so much because America was an example of what's possible, of true freedom and true possibilities that you and anyone can create the American dream for themselves. And I really think that Trump, everything that he's done in his life and especially where he's at now winning the presidency is a true example of that American dream restored. And part of what I would do is really talk about how do we restore that American dream and bringing that back to life. A lot of that comes from faith and hope in yourself and personal empowerment relying on yourself instead of the government and believing that things are possible here in America. And that's what I believe. Uh, you were the first person that's chosen Donald Trump in that question. And I've done quite a few interviews over the past couple of weeks. So uh, <laughs> fascinating. Um, what final words do you have for your constituents, listeners? Uh, what's your, your, your final words? My final words are that you know, I haven't been a politician before, and I don't have Nancy's old age, but I've got a lot of things that Nancy doesn't. I've got energy, I've got vitality, I've got honesty, and a lot of fresh, bold ideas. And I think what our country really needs right now is fresh, new leadership. I'm of the millennial generation, and we have a total mess to deal with right now. It's going to take us to fix that mess, to elect outsiders that are different, to not be afraid of electing them. If they have a strong character and a willingness to fight and stand up for your values. Take a chance. This is all about ordinary Americans doing bold things to restore the America that we know and love. And I promise that I'll fight for conservative values, for restoring the family unit, for strengthening relationships between men and women, and to restore the American dream. That's what I can promise you. Deanna, I thank you so much for your time. I know it's a busy schedule for you, uh, but I hope that everybody has learned something about you today. Absolutely. Um, thank put, you. You're welcome. And uh, anybody that's listening, I'll have all of Deanna's information in the description part of the podcast. You can keep up uh, with her throughout the campaign. Yes, uh, Deanna, DeannaForCongress.com is my, uh, my website. Please check it out. Check out my platform. Check out my, uh, my values, what I stand for, and you can also participate and donate there. All right. You've heard it here. Thank you so much for listening to The American Perspective. As always, this is Joshua Newmark, and my guest today was Deanna Lorraine, the congressional candidate for California's 12th district, and she's running against Nancy Pelosi. Until next week, keep the conversations going.